the presence of all of you here and the sounds of this beautiful music today remind me that the earth is indeed full of God's glory. And this time of Lent when we're having a series of, on the creation story in Genesis 1, we do give thanks for God's glory and all the ways God has created it. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today on this third Sunday of Lent, we consider the third day of creation. The passage tells us that before the plants and the trees and their fruits and their seeds appeared, that there was first only dry land and the sea. We can imagine this land, dry, the land that God called earth. We may picture a desert, brown, barren, naked, nothing living detected. But then we learn that the desert is not a dead place, because it's from this very land that God calls forth living things. And responding to God's call, this dry and naked earth brings forth green and living blooms. The desert blooms. This past week, Adam and I had the opportunity to consider the image of a desert in bloom. That was the theme of the national gathering of the Presbyterian Church called Next Church that Adam and I and often some Knox members uh, attend every year with hundreds of other pastors, church members, and leaders from around the, the nation. And we gather together to confront problems and issues that challenge the church and the world and to consider how God calls us, as the church, to respond with the hope that we know is true in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we gather to hear testimonies from congregations, both the tiniest and the largest. We hear of innovative and often very simple ministries that bring the transforming hope of God's love to their neighborhoods and to the world. We gather to worship together, to allow the Spirit to nurture our faith and to prepare us to come back home with our new hope and the stories of how God is at work in the world. Together we experience the desert places in the world, but also remember God's hope. This year's conference was held in Baltimore. Each city who hosts us each year tells us some of the history of the place and the churches in that area tell us about what is really going on in their context so that we learn and grow from their experiences. A week before we arrived in Baltimore, USA Today published an article declaring Baltimore the most dangerous city in the United States, having the highest murder rate per capita of the nation's 50 largest cities. Reaching that statistic, as we know, does not happen overnight. So together we lamented this reality there in Baltimore, as we also learned about Baltimore's deep and dark and ages-long history of white supremacy that has led to so many of the problems in their city. In an essay by Erin Durham, she writes, Racism plagued the political, economic, and social policies of Baltimore throughout the entire 20th century. 
Baltimore enacted legislation that promoted racial segregation of its neighborhoods. Housing developments set up restrictive covenants that refused admittance of Jews and blacks. And these policies led to the escalation of values of property in the white neighborhoods and the declining values in the black and immigrant neighborhoods. And with those declining neighborhoods, businesses moved out or chose other places to do their work. Grocery stores were lacking. Basic human services began to not be present for the people living here. There were no jobs and unemployment or lack of access to get to a job led to poverty. And with poverty, we know the deep despair and insecurity that comes. And with that, fear. And with that, violence, drugs, addiction, and more despair. We know some of these truths here in our own city as well. These are sobering stories. And, but we don't just sit there and listen, wringing our hands, wondering, why is there never anything new under the sun? Instead, as the Church of Jesus Christ called to bring God's living hope to the world, we heard story after story of testimonies of congregations who shared how as the hands and feet of Christ, they are working in partnership with God in these barren, dry lands to help God bring forth blooms of new life and fruits of hope. Adam and I are so happy to share some of the stories we heard, as you will probably hear us. And also you can go to nextchurch.net and hear them all. But a story I want to share from my time there is a bit more personal. I had this experience of the desert in bloom there in Baltimore. Although it's been some time since I have shared with you, you may, some of you may know or remember that I am in recovery from addiction for several years now. And due to my specific addictions, I abstain from alcohol and certain foods, and I also practice a spiritual solution to the disease through the 12-step program of recovery. And I do this to the best of my ability just one day at a time, and each week I attend a few, sometimes several, 12-step meetings. Those of you living with a, an addiction or have loved ones who are, know that no matter where we go, our disease goes with us. So whenever possible, while I'm traveling, I seek out a 12-step meeting to attend. I take out my phone with all the nifty apps we have and it tells me exactly where a meeting is, if it's walkable or if I need lift to take me there. And I found one in Baltimore that meets at 6.45 a.m. every weekday morning, perfect for this early bird, and allowed me to get back to the conference on time. I chose to walk to this meeting one morning because I love exploring new cities. And as I left my hotel room, I made some assumptions about what I would find at this meeting. I was in the downtown harbor area of Baltimore. Beautiful. Shiny buildings, business people, things for tourists. And this two and a half miles basically followed a straight line. So I was able to travel through different neighborhoods. 
But based on my experience of attending early morning weekday meetings here in Cincinnati, I assumed I would find professionals dressed in suits or nice clothing getting a meeting in before they traveled to their job or their nice office or downtown to a, a fancy high-rise office building. As I left the downtown area, I next passed through a university district, polished with new buildings, with a huge hospital and medical complex. And then I passed through the historic district with quaint brick buildings, and you could just feel the history on those streets. And the next neighborhood I came to, I discerned, was an African-American neighborhood and an immigrant neighborhood based on the names of the businesses there and the restaurants. And then I noticed all the boarded-up windows and closed-down shops and the large amount of graffiti on some of these buildings and the buildings that were in disrepair and garbage on the street. And I discerned I was in quite a poor neighborhood now. My phone's GPS told me I was almost to my destination, and it told me to take a left. Well, a left meant down an alley, and it told me to take an immediate right, which meant down another alley. And I confess that as a woman walking by myself in a strange city, I, one, questioned my judgment, and two, was grateful that the sun had come up. There was no one around, and I was suddenly in the backyards of these fairly run-down apartment buildings, garbage overflowing in the, in the dumpsters and on the ground. And I'm looking for the place of this meeting. And then I see the telltale sign of many 12-step meetings, especially AA, which is where I was headed. Two men on a porch smoking. We all know the hazards of smoking, but that is always good news for someone looking for a meeting, you know, right where to go. And those two men saw me, and of course there's instant recognition. I was the only one, I was this stranger in this alley. Who, who else would be there, and what else would they be looking for? And they welcomed me, they showed me the door, and I walked into this tiny room. At this point, just a few people were there. And by the time the meeting began, maybe a dozen. I sat down for only a few seconds before the chairperson of that meeting that day came over to me, welcomed me, and said, would you like to be our speaker today? <laughs> and I have learned on this path of life and recovery that when asked to serve, to say yes, no matter how I feel about it. So with trepidation, he took me to the seat where the speaker sits. And I looked out at that group of people and was reminded what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, and it's very true, that generally we are a people that would never mix outside of those rooms. Most of the people were black men. I was one of three women, one of three white people. I'm wondering what do I have to offer to this group of people that doesn't look like me in a neighborhood I have never lived in but when willingness comes and true surrender to God's call and guidance come, God rushes in and gives the words we need to say and that I too needed to hear that morning of love and forgiveness and mercy and healing. All the words that bring to a once dry and desert landscape of our lives something brand new. 
I proclaimed the gospel that day in a way that I needed to hear through the story of my own journey of recovery. And after I was finished, then others started sharing their stories. Very different, but very similar to my own. Stories of despair, of life crumbling around them, either their own, of of those they love because of their own or others' addiction. And stories of hope, because we do our best to live in the solution. And the solution to the disease of addiction is spiritual, because it addresses a spiritual problem, where there's a God-shaped hole, in my experience, trying to fill that with anything but God, never works and leads me deeper into a desert land. But those on this path of recovery know new bloom. We know new life. And those men who shared talked about how they are now giving away their hope, their fresh new growth, their fresh fruits, that now they have lives that are thriving and they're out there helping others who are struggling right there in their neighborhood and beyond. And that those desert places of Baltimore, these people are bringing God's hope of new life. I was struck by that morning how I may never see these people again, but I saw in them and I heard in them the heart of Jesus, the one I follow, the one many of us strive to follow each day. Their loving acceptance of me, this strange white lady from out of town and in many ways from a whole different world, will forever minister to me is how God calls me to show up in the world. We were family in that hour together. And that hour together is what the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion is all about. Every meeting around those tables, pouring coffee for one another, sharing donuts or bagels, that is communion. And at our table today and every month we celebrate when we break bread together and pass it to one another and pour the cup and pass the juice to one another. We are experiencing God's giving new life to any desert place we bring to the table. God knows and God understands. When we come to this table, we remember the life of our brother Jesus. We remember his living and how he spoke with bravery and courage and obedience, God's message of hope. We remember his dying because the world could not accept God's radical inclusivity and acceptance of all people. We remember his death at the hands of those who rejected God's message of peace and love. And at this table, we remember the third day, the day Jesus was raised from death to new life. So we remember Easter every time we share this meal together. Friends, our call is to be Easter people in the world. Our journey through Lent these 40 days in the desert land with one another and Jesus prepares us for the glory of Easter. And our call is to live out our hope. We are all equipped and gifted in some way to bring fresh blooms to the desert, to help make real the seeds that God has planted to help them sprout. 
A pastor, Steve Garnis Holmes, writes poetry on the, the week's passages. And he writes this, I paraphrase, about our journey, our shared journey, to be God's light and hope in the world. God says to us, in your presence, your trying, even your weak and fruitless attempts at love, even your feeblest shot at trying to be present and pay attention, I have been present. My grace has been at work. People may fail to see it. You may fail to see it. Many will resist it. You yourself may doubt it. But it is there. I live and work among that which is not seen. Seeds sprout underground. Stories are told whose endings, happy endings, occur only later, far away. A single seed contributes to the grandest tree that the seed may never know. So friends, take courage that every act of loving kindness we offer is at God at work through us in ways we may never realize, but that will surely bring forth new hope in our own hearts and the others that we share with. Thanks be to God that we are Easter people. Amen.